back on another episode of Dr. Zero Trust with my good friend, a long time, somebody that I've been, you know, working with. And uh, we are both Mach 37 uh, victims, I think is a good way to put it. Uh, Danny Jenkins from Threat Locker. Would you mind giving like a, you know, quick rundown on who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm, I'm the CEO of ThreatLocker. I've got a history in cybersecurity, enterprise IT, ransomware recovery. I've been red team, blue team, really just here to stop ransomware and, and, and stop malicious actors getting into companies. So with, with you being so big in ransomware, I mean, you guys are taking off like a bottle rocket lately. Like, well, why is that happening? Do you think it's just because ransomware is as prolific as it is, or is it because people finally get the solution that makes sense? Like, where... What's the twist on why you guys are, are running roughshod over the competition? You know, it, it's funny because before I started Threat Locker, this is my third company I started, and I, I'd always talk about being an entrepreneur. It, it's kind of like pushing this horse cart up a hill. That's how hard and miserable it is. And Threat Locker's kind of been miserable as well in some respects, and, but it, it's more like I'm trying to hold onto a rocket that's headed into space, and my face is is shaking, and the, <laughs> the speed is going fast. But And I think it is because the problem is getting worse. I mean, look, zero trust, default deny, least privilege, this stuff's been around for a long time. Uh, it, it's There's no magic, oh, wow, we came up with this great solution. It's always been too difficult to implement and to use, and we help with that, and that's why ThreatLocker exists. But ultimately, the technologies have been there for a long time. There's th- two things that have changed. One is new newer technologies are making the process easier, but the other thing is 10 years ago, when you got malware, you got to see someone's tits. Today, you get you, you lose your business. The stakes are much, much higher. So people are willing to do more to to actually stop these attacks coming in. Yeah, I, I kind of miss the days of just seeing a naked picture when you got when you clicked on something. Now, <laughs> now it's all a game. Well, I, I remember reading the headlines in 2001. I think it was when Lovebook came out. The world's most notorious virus. It infected a third of the world's business computers. And guess what it did? It said, I love you. Yeah. Like, I mean, what happened to that? Yeah, right. Now it's uh, now it's wrecking businesses. Well, I mean, Colonial and uh, Kaseya and some of these other major, major things. I mean, you guys have been involved in that uh, and not not in the response side necessarily, but just in uh, in the views on how that's been a, a thing. Right. What What's what's Kaseya and what is Colonial to you? So, well, I mean, Colonial is really interesting, first of all, because it, it, it's um, and we work in a lot of oil companies, not Colonial. Um, uh, but the, uh, the it was interesting because it's the first time in history I've ever seen uh, a perpetrator, a ransomware creator, apologize. So Darkside actually published an apology uh, and they said, going forward, we're going to go after less controversial targets. Now, I want to put that into perspective. Children's hospitals are still fair, fair game. Uh, charities are still fair game, but don't feck with oil. Because even even with a Democrat in the White House, you don't mess around with oil. Like uh, it's it, They realized after shutting down the East Coast pipeline that, oh, crap, the guy that controls the missiles is pissed now, and I need to figure out how I get out of this. <laughs> let's, let's just say we'll stick to children's hospitals going forward. Yeah, that was a holy shit moment for them of, uh-oh, like we, uh, we might have done something bad here. Yeah, I bet off a little bit more than I can chew. Um, and of course, what I think is really interesting about it, though, is the first ransomware case I worked on was a comp- insurance company in Australia, and it was $22,000 ransom. It was pretty cheap in those days. Uh, but they paid the ransom, and they didn't get the data back. 
so, and I remember talking to the business owner about a week later. This is a 60 something year old man. He's crying on the phone to me and his business is gone. We did, he didn't lose his business. We managed to use data recovery tools and things like that to, to recover it. But imagine if um, they didn't give the data back. I mean, they paid four and a half million dollars, which is a rounding error for an oil company. But what what if they didn't get it back? Would we all be driving electric cars now? Would gas prices be European levels? <laughs> what would we be doing here in the US? Because you're kind of destroyed if you don't have oil on the east coast of the US, especially when you get yeah, to that's a critical flaw, right? I mean, I, I think that maybe maybe the folks have finally got it through their head when they say critical infrastructure, like they're not fucking around. Like some of the stuff is critical. And if it goes down, we have, you know, made like you're saying, like we what do we do? Start walking? Like how you get to get to work? Yeah, that's it. It's just it is absolutely terrifying that not all attackers are businesses. Dark side of a business, they wanted to make money. But there's a lot of ideological reasons to hate the United States still. There's still a lot of Eastern countries that just want to shut that oil down because there's wars going on over the shit. So if you can shut down a pipeline and you take four and a half million dollars from them and don't turn it back on, that's a win. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, I mean, I, 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 every morning I get up and because I have no wife, I like get up and look through Shoden and sort of just see what's out there that I could get to and ping. And I mean, I have yet to go online on Shoden in the morning and not find access to some piece of critical infrastructure and it's if you know what to look for it takes minutes like i usually haven't even finished my coffee yet and i've finished and found the stuff and the problem is they're the guys that are going to do it for ideological reasons they're not the go- i mean people who are targeting critical infrastructure because you know if you're targeting critical in- tr- critical infrastructure you're going to piss off the white house you're going to piss off the guys with the bombs so you're not always going to do it for business reasons you're going to do it I mean, if you're a private business, you still you still have the people that do it for ideological reasons. If you're an abortion clinic, they might want to shut you down. If you're uh, religious, they might want to shut you down. There's always reasons to to take businesses down. Just they hate you in general, or maybe they just don't have good support and they took the million dollars and said, "Hey, email us nine to five, and we'll come back to you in two months." Um, mm. But if you're infrastructure, if you are important to a country, then there's a good chance that when you pay that four and a half million dollars which I assume they had to pay. They weren't paying, I know it's a rounding error for them, but they're not paying four and a half million dollars because they, they felt like it would make my life a little bit easier. When you pay that four and a half million dollars, you're you're doing it because you have to and they can shut you down. Well, with all the, I mean, I, I, you, you and I have chatted over beers in the past and whatnot about all the organization that you've been to before an event. And you said, look, like I could fix you and eliminate this risk for, you know, a, you know not not a whole lot of money. And then they go, no, 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 we're good. Like whatever, pound sand, we got all this other AB stuff, blah, blah, life goes on. And then they get ripped and then they come back and go, you know, okay, we got done paying 50 times what you would have charged us. Like what, how does all that sort of play out for you? I, I mean, we work heavily in, look, and there's no, I never want to hear somebody get hit by ransomware, even if they, they did just try and save it, right? Even, even if they did save a couple of thousand dollars. I mean, there's, there's nothing worse than someone losing all their infrastructure. Um, it, 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 it's not just, I mean, for business owners, it's personal. When, when, you, get, when you get crippled, it, it's personal to you. But, I mean, we saw a lot of that with Kasey. I mean, we work heavily in the MSP space. Uh, MSPs are heavily targeted. Small businesses are targeted. And we saw with the Kaseya outbreak, I mean, we saw that weekend, 45 of our partners or 46 of our partners had that ransomware pushed out to all of their computers. 45 of them were in secured mode. One was just deployed and they were still in that learning phase. So it didn't help them. But 
you just, I just saw literally potentially MSPs get wiped out their entire business over a vulnerability in a piece of software. And it, and it's not just Kaseya. It's, it happens. We have print nightmare. I mean, it got, kind of got overshadowed by Kaseya, but just a few, a week before that print nightmare came out and you could bypass security and windows and run privileged code. Yeah. I mean, the, the print, the print one's pretty prolific. I saw one that came out today. Uh, I believe it was, uh, like an 8.8 or something on the on the scale it was a zero day, you know, attacking Windows users with Office documents. And the, here's like here's part of the problem that I see too is like this thing came out, and then if you read the headline, it's like holy shit, this is you know really bad zero data. If you read through the actual document, it says like this would only affect a percentage of people that literally ignore all security controls and you know basically enable this thing to go sideways on them. So I mean, I, I, the the side of that equation of um, the fear tactics and FUD that the market pushes on people, right, in the marketing side, and like you guys, we actually fix the problem. I don't know that those two intersect very well. Uh, it seems like there's more fear and, you know, craziness than there is, like, reality of what we're doing and this fixes the problem or doesn't. Well, well think about it. I mean, I remember buying antivirus back in 2000, and... It, 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 back then, it was about ten dollars a year. It worked out, or fifteen dollars a year. And now, you, the thing is, it's almost like treating a, a symptom. Because if you can keep selling better, if you just say, "Hey, we got an antivirus, and it solves your problem," I can't solve it. I can't sell you anything else. <laughs> I'm done. Your problem's gone away. So that you, you you get antivirus, you get EDRs. And so what they do is we we've got this big team of people that are going to look for viruses. They create an antivirus, and then they say, "Hey, we've got a next generation antivirus. We're not just looking for known viruses now. We're looking at certain behaviors." And then we've got what well, we can add artificial intelligence to that and charge you more money. And then we can add a sim uh, with a sock behind it to that and charge you even more money. And we can add some threat hunting into that equation. I can just keep selling you more air. And I'm not saying that these are completely pointless tools, but what we ended up with is 20 or three house alarms in your house. You've got motion sensors, you've got contact sensors, you've got glass breaking sensors, you've got cameras with laser beams on them, but the front door is locked, unlocked, and someone can still walk in and take the damn TV off the wall. <laughs> so yeah. it, if you don't if you don't put the basic controls in place, if you don't block your outbound traffic on your firewall where it's not needed, if you don't stop untrusted software running, if you don't, I mean, print nightmare, Kaseya, don't let the software that runs on your computer do whatever the hell it wants. I mean, ring fence a shit out that because every time you're running something, it can see all your data. It doesn't matter if you've got the best antivirus in the world. You download Angry Birds, it can see your files. It can see your data. Now, maybe we trust software isn't going to be, uh, be used against us. We trust the vendors not, but the vendors also have vulnerabilities that they don't control too. And then Vendors just sometimes go bad. They go rogue. They get compromised. So don't trust them. Don't let them run if they don't need to. And when they do need to run, only give them exactly what they need. Not, oh, you can have access to every single file I can access because I'm a user and I don't need to be an administrator. But if you run something, I can still see everything on your machine. Yeah. And I mean, that's where I remember the first time you and I talked about ThreatLocker years ago. I was like, yeah, that makes a hell of a lot of sense because like what you're doing is... The, you're approaching ZT from the perspective of if if a word document's supposed to do word stuff, anything else is not going to happen. If uh, you know, if if this thing doesn't need to connect to the internet, it doesn't connect to the internet. Like I, I don't understand to me why people think this is so incredibly difficult. Like it's a, it's yes, there are many moving parts, but you can kind of boil it away and simplistically look at the problem and go, 
these things shouldn't do this other stuff. So stop it. Yeah. And that if you start from that position, you're always better off because you now don't have to look for something bad. You're just saying I start from a denied position and I allow as I need in my business. And then when something's compromised, I mean, the exchange vulnerability, there's a perfect example. It was compromised. It needed access to exchange data. There's nothing we can do about that. I mean, that's a, that we've made that decision to run exchange, but it didn't need access to PowerShell, which is what was happening. And they were able to install malware on the exchange server as a system account. They were able to call other processes. So just control what it can do. Just assume if you need to do this, Office documents, there is a feature in Office that you can call PowerShell directly from a macro. I mean, who the hell thought of that damn feature? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. it's, not, it's not a vulnerability because it's documented in the help file. Uh, we're the how-to guide, basically how to write malware. But guess what? If you're calling PowerShell from your macros, I'll be impressed. But if you're not, shut that shit down. It doesn't need to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's the the issue you run into with folks all the time is they go, well, I didn't know that it did this. Like, I can't, I mean, I've, I've done tons of workshops. I'm sure you have with folks on there. They're like, well, I didn't know Windows could do that, or I didn't know Power, you know, PowerShell could be invoked that way. And it's like, you, you should, like, someone should have known this. Somebody should have turned this off. Like, well, I think that's the point. People don't know what it can do. So, I mean, whether it's Threat Locker or, or something else, put an agent on there. Look what it needs to do in a normal behavior, and then shut down everything else. Because there's two things you're going to learn. One is what it does do. And then what it needs, what it can do, you don't need to worry so much about because you've just assumed I'm not going to let it do anything else. Yeah, I uh, I did a deployment for um, for somebody uh, for a test case two weeks ago, and uh, we 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 ran the stuff similar to what you do, and it basically came back and said, "Here's your users, here's what they're accessing, and here's what they're doing." And I was on the phone with the customer. And I said, I said, who's this? And they said, well, the, we fired that guy. And I was like, what do you mean? They said, well, we fired him like 18 months ago. And I was like, well, he's on right now and he's remoted in and he's doing whatever he wants. And the question for me was like, how did this slide through, you know, the whole thing? I mean, I, I, I guess it's just too many moving parts and the management side of it goes sideways or something or or it's a lack of useful technology to fix the problem. Because they these guys had all the other shit. They had everything else, but they didn't see something that was to me, it took it was super easy to find out. Like this user's doing this thing and they shouldn't be there. Yeah. Well, I think that's the problem though. Companies that are growing and they're evolving, they're churning staff. It, it's it's a challenge. And when you're when you're in a fast growth pace or you're hiring or you're scrambling to work from home, it's very easy to just ignore the basic controls that are there for a reason it's you know we're having a new fiber line installed in our office this morning the guy comes in he has his id checked he, we verify he is who he is we escort him to the server room he fills in a, you know it's very easy to just go oh no he must be the, he's the fiber guy let him into the server room like it, there's, there's a there's a process you, you go through it's very easy when you're in a rush to skip that process but i mean you're you're like rapid growth you guys are growing almost 2x every quarter it seems like if not more uh <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, even more than that, right? So, I mean, on the how, how do you manage that? Like, from the perspective of being the CEO running a threat, a cybersecurity company where obviously the threat is significant, like, what is what's the fix for folks? Do you just tell them, like, we're not we're not worried because we have threat locker in place, or how do you how do you manage that? Well, a, a zero, zero, zero trust is a philosophy, it's not, it, it's not, I've got threat locker in place, and that's a tool that makes 
to zero trust a lot easier so our endpoints are locked down our employees can't access more than they need to we we follow that in our permissions we follow that in when we hire people we give them access to what they need our car our doors have swipe card systems on them uh coming in and cameras on them that say who's so if you use someone else's swipe card it's going to take a picture of your face um but we, we do background checks and drug checks for every single employee we hire we only give them access they need it's a pain in the ass by the way i mean we're, we're hiring seven to ten people every single week and yeah. it, it, it's it, and we have to go through the security training with them we the, we have to go through the procedures with them and then we offboard people at the same time it's it's not easy i'm not here to say hey it's easy but if, if do it where you can like do it and, and make sure everyone thinks about that and make sure when someone screws up that it's said to them you can't fire everyone that screws up you screwed you up. Have no employees. <laughs> yeah, you have no employees. Uh, but uh, so make sure it's very, very not embarrassing them, but public. This can't happen. Like you can't, even when it's not a big deal. Even when it, it, it it's because someone let the coffee guy come in without checking his ID or, or something like that, or somebody allowed a piece of software without vesting it. Uh, make sure it's publicly known and say we can't do this. Because the more you do that, the more your staff are trained, the better you're going to be off. You're always going to make mistakes. There's no that's inevitable but the more controls you have in place the more roadblocks you have in place the less damaging those mistakes are going to be let's face it if you if you say okay i'm not going to let any software run and then you don't train a user and they open an email attachment which has a word document in which goes out to the internet which downloads a powershell command which you can't do but if you've got ring fencing you've got whitelisting in place that shit can't run maybe you allow something wrong again if you have storage policies in place to say only these programs can access my file server, you've now got another roadblock. It gets a lot harder um, for these bad guys to move around. And our job is not to make it impossible because even the White House isn't 100% secure physically. But if you're going to try and break into the White House versus my house, you've probably got a better chance of breaking into my house. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but, I, you know, I've got cameras. I've got an alarm system. I've got locks on my door. I've got a dog that will lick you to death and make a lot of noise. Um, but... You, 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 what you want to do is be harder than everyone else to breach because eventually these guys they're going to give up in most cases because they're there to make money too. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's a really good takeaway, right? Is that you're, I mean, you're a guy running a company, hiring seven to ten people a week. You've got lots of moving parts, onboarding, offboarding. But for you know your approach, right? You've you've adopted the strategy. You've got technology to enable that strategy, and then you have controls and requirements in place that are uh mandated i i think what i run into with a lot of folks is they kind of take a a really soft approach at this and they go well this is this is not okay and then they just kind of let it slide where i like i like what you're saying as far as make it known like if you do this it's not okay you're not shaming somebody but you're letting everybody know like this is a violation of policy this is a risk don't do this and then you know, you go forward from there because uh, to your point, right? People are going to screw up. Bad shit's going to happen. Um, but you have to have that position and policy in place and you have to enforce it. If you don't enforce a policy, like it banners will be written on toilet paper. It'd be more useful. Yeah. And we test on our policies too. So and look, we, we go through our SOC 2 audits and we've got policies that are three inches high when you, you stack them on the table. But we also have, okay, when you go through your onboarding training, this is the requirement. Every application must have dual factor on it. Every um, every uh, permission must be assigned as needed only. You can't have um, employees must do this and this. And then what we do is we test them. 
So we give them a, 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 a test at the end of it and then they get a quarterly test to say, what is the correct password policy? What is the correct dual factor authentication policies? What passwords are you allowed to save in your password manager? Which ones do you have to remember in your damn brain? Because we don't even trust our password manager not to get compromised to allow access to certain things on the system. Uh, all of these things we, we test them on and then we say, okay, how many of them actually fail that test? And by the way, a lot of people fail that test. It's just the way it is. But by testing them, they now come out with their head hang, hung low saying, okay, I know I need to be better. We're improving our security and never stop improving your security. You can always. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think, I think it runs uh, that it, it's kind of just complex, right? Because when you look at the training and sort of security market, there's billions of dollars going into like educating people and whatever else. And then people get that education and they think, okay, my workforce is good. Like we've beat the system, but in reality, like you haven't, cause you're never going to beat the system to your point. It's, it's continual. It's you have to continue to do this and evolve and change things. And it and it's okay to to put those lines in the sand about like this is this is not acceptable. This this is outside the bounds of what is you know uh, accepted risk practices. We had, I had an interesting call with a client recently. Um, they they use a, a, an EDR a, a sim and they implemented zero trust and they're like okay we've got the same we've got the security team they i pay these analysts 200 grand a year to figure out what's good and bad and then they said okay we're well, now into adding zero trust my life's going to get even harder but no it didn't their their zero trust went up you know their line went up from a little bit of work on so they added a little bit of work to keep to keep this default deny approach in place to, to deny by default but their sim just dived in alerts because now no shit could happen in their environment and if you think about it, if things can't happen, you're not getting locks. So if people can't download software that suddenly goes out to China, problem solved. So their their security costs, which are really expensive, people dived. The other thing I often hear is there's 2 million unfilled cybersecurity positions, but there's also 5 million assholes out there who don't know what they're doing, <laughs> trying to get the jobs. Math doesn't work out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they all go into college and they go, but I've got a four-year cybersecurity degree. And say, so can you my IP address on that server? And they say, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's like, shit, like, <laughs> what college did you go to? So uh, yeah. it's, it, 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 it's very hard to find good security people. But you can actually lower your costs by putting better practices in place, better controls in place, better tangibles, because then you don't get nearly, nearly as many alerts. Uh, we have a joke when it pops up with ThreatLocker, because when it blocks something, it pops up and says, hey, do you want to request a review of this do you want to request the security department review this and see if you want to allow it nobody ever clicks yes because they know if i've gone that far i've done too much we have this joke saying this means uh, collect your w2 on the way out the door <laughs> so uh, if, if this pops up you're in trouble because you've already gone too far yeah yeah i mean and i like i've done a demo with uh threat locker and i've actually put it through the paces and it like it's that's the thing right is it's not not really that hard to use and it, I, I could see where you would limit and lower some of the the cost on the far side of uh, managing and feeding the beast. Like uh, a lot of the stuff that people think they need an analyst for is what you're talking about is just, it shouldn't happen. Like, why do I need to analyze this? Like if, if you're trying to download, I don't know, dirty donkey porn widget.com from China, that shit shouldn't happen. So let's just eliminate that. I don't need a sock analyst to look at that. Yeah, just well, block it all. Analysts are coming in when things are being allowed. The less you allow, the less that needs to be analyzed. I mean, yeah. that's as simple as that. And, and and if you've got a problem employee, you get a bunch of alerts sent in saying, hey, this employee keeps trying to do bad shit. So they're either stupid and they need 
maybe to be trained, cut off their hand, whatever's allowed. <laughs> uh, or, or they need to be, or they're trying to do bad stuff because they're bad employees. Like, but yeah. you take that away. I mean, people get used to, oh, I can't just download something. It's not going to work on my machine. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, a lot. A lot of the stuff that people think they need too. I guess that's the question, right? A lot of the people stuff people think they need, they actually don't. Like, if uh, I I know that I've run into it plenty of times where folks say, "Oh, I got to have this," and it's like, well, you you've already got it with another thing that is authorized and does that. You just have to use it slightly differently. Is that does that PDF. show up? Huh? PDF readers. Every yeah. time we do an deployment, there's like twelve PDF readers found in the company network. So, well, what's your what with PDF reader? you use we use adobe okay well, then nothing else works that yeah. all the other 11 have just been installed by your users that yeah. aren't that aren't managed that have added vulnerability into your system that might not even be pdf readers <laughs> so right. um i mean there's an example like if, if if they request if they download something that's outside the company approved they say hey i want to request access to this pdf reader the company the it guy can now come back and say why are you requesting this and they say well i need to open a pdf well you can install adobe or yeah. whatever you've decided as a company. Yeah, makes things simpler and follows the practice and management and all that stuff easier. What, what? I mean, being as deeply entrenched in the ransomware as you are, like, what's your views on cyber insurance? Because I know for me, it makes me rage, like, just the, the whole thing. You know, when I, when I met you, um, Chase, uh, a few weeks after I met, or probably two days after I met you in D.C. the first time, um, hurricane came through Florida and took out my tree and my car. And, I remember. Yeah, I, remember. Uh, like, yeah. I had to get back down to Florida within, uh, and my so we had about forty five thousand dollars of uh, damage to the house. I got eighteen back from them or something stupid like that. So uh, it, it's and my car lost seven grand. I write out a check for seven grand on the car. Um, so my insurance, my my opinion on insurance is it's always shit, and it's something that you buy because you have to buy, and you know we buy insurance. But here's the problem with it: very seldom does it pay what you need. The other thing is. All this ransomware today doesn't just encrypt your files. It takes it. And are you really going to believe that guy that let's say your insurance pays, maybe it pays all of it, most likely half of it. Um, if after they've fought for six months not to pay it, because that's what insurance companies do, it's their business model. But are you really going to believe this guy isn't going to dump your stuff or reuse your data or use it to manipulate your partners or your customers to get a ransomware attack later on? You can't undo that shit. That's out there. Once your data is gone, it's gone. There's no getting it back. You wouldn't you wouldn't pay someone two hundred dollars to delete those naked pictures of you because and trust them to do it. They're extorting you. Why would you trust them to do anything? The same with ransomware. We have a saying. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying that you break a mirror, you get seven years bad luck. Yeah. You get ransomware, you got seven years bad luck. Your customers, your partners, your employees' identities are going to start to be stolen uh, because they've dumped everything from your company and they might not publish your entire dossier on the web. Uh, but your employees suddenly will say, my ID got stolen, and you'll never know it's related. Or your customer now gets ransomware because you send them an invoice every month for $429.12. So they say, I'm going to spoof your email and send an exact same attachment, and now this customer's more likely to open it. Or um, somebody you do business with gets ransomware because there's a trust buildup. And suddenly, as a business, things just start to go wrong for the next seven years. So paying the ransom is never a good idea either. Um, really, you want to be in a position where you don't get ransomware to begin with, and if you do, you recover on your own properly, not not through relying on some guy you just paid four and a half million dollars in ransom. But the other thing you want to do is make sure um, that you can't rely on your insurance to do that, and make you, you're going to have a bad time afterwards, especially if they've extracted your data.
Yeah. So, I mean, you and I are on the same, like I, I, and I, that's the conversation I've had with folks is like, if you have you ever wrecked a car and then gone to the insurance company and they go, Oh yeah, here's the D you know, the devalued thing of your car, even though you've paid more than the value of the car or twice over. So we'll give you, you know, what, whatever it's like, I, I can't imagine in a world where you would be able to go to an insurance company and say, I got ransom for 5 million and they go, okay, we're good to go. Here's your $5 million payout and we'll handle the whole thing. Like, and I mean, there's there's evidence too that that that's not what occurs. Like they, like you said, they try not to pay because that's their business model. And then there's deductibles, and then when they do pay, your premiums go through the roof, and they get it back. Uh, that eighteen thousand dollars I've paid in additional insurance. Oh so, yeah. <laughs> in the last four years or five years. Yeah, I mean, I had to get my roof redone after a storm or whatever else, and they came out and said, "Oh, we're going to redo your roof, and it's going to." I was like, "Well." I paid the deductible and I paid for this roof twice over. You guys just happen to be showing up to do, to do the work. Like, don't act like you're helping me out here. Uh, I mean, it, it's better than nothing, I guess. But uh, but uh, it's in the cyberspace, though, we're legislating ourselves into a space where people think that insurance is going to be the fix. And it's not. Yeah, but you, you don't get in the car and not wear a seatbelt and drive like an asshole because you got insurance. Unless you're in like LA, people do it in LA, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and they probably don't have insurance half of me there. So, right. uh, but yeah, it's it, look, insurance is it, it's something. It's a necessary evil that we carry. I, I never, it's never a solution to ransomware. It's never a solution. And if you're claiming you failed, like if you're restoring from your backup, you failed. Like if you're claiming from your insurance, you, know, you failed multiple times because you should have near line backup, offline backup local so you got three lives you fail three times if you're claiming from your insurance yeah yeah that's true uh, well i mean you got lots of other cool stuff to do i don't want to take up too much of your time but like i always like to wrap up with like what's the one thing you would tell somebody not to do we always talk about what to do and all the good things and whatever else like if you were to say to a, a business don't do this what would that be uh, honestly i would say don't assume ever doesn't matter how much you've bought how many staff you have never assumed that you're doing this right if you're not going to bed every night as a business owner shit scared you've already failed <laughs> i mean that's it you you should be going to bed every night thinking i am not protected it doesn't matter what i've got in place or who my staff are and that then you're going to be better off because you know in the morning when you wake up you're going to do something else to protect yourself and then you're going to keep doing more and that's going to put you ahead of the game Anyone who thinks they're going to bed tonight and they're thinking my business is protected. I don't care what software you're running, who your IT guy is. Uh, it, you, there is no such thing as 100% protected. And the moment you take your eye off it, I mean, and that's we see that in business all the time. It's not just security. You know, I take my eye off support desk for a week and the ticket. Suddenly we start getting more thumbs down and I have to start, you know, getting a steel bar out and yelling at people. <laughs> but it, it's it, it's the same with security. The moment you take your eye off it, you're done. Moment, take your eye off your teenage kids. They're doing something bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got teenagers. I know that that's the truth. So, <laughs> well, uh, super. I'm gonna make sure that we link up everything here for folks that are interested in Threat Locker. Um, Danny's a great guy. His company's doing amazing things. I would say if you get a chance, look at the demos. Uh, Danny Jenkins from Threat Locker, good friend of mine. Somebody that always tells it like it is. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, Chase, for having me here today. 
Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.